Hi, Jen. Hello, Sarah. I feel like we haven't, like, just been us for a little while. Because we haven't. We've been us and the other people, us and trailblazers, regular people plus trailblazer. I know. (laughs) We have a big trailblazer interview coming up this week. We do. It's a secret. (laughs) All of them are. People must hate us. They have no idea what the joys that are in their future. But all I'll say is this. Everybody, like... The, when the when the Trailblazer interviews come out, people just are so delighted because they're not there. It's a surprise. It's like a little present to everyone from us every time we put one out. And they are delightful. So it's nice to share them with the world because it's the way we felt when we did them. Yeah. I mean, last week was a big week for everyone. It's Beverly Jenkins and Vincent Virga. So I think what was cool about last week for me was... Largely, everyone knows who Beverly Jenkins is, and largely, very few people in romance know who Vincent Virga is. And so, if you are reading Trailblazer books after you listen to the episodes, let us know. Oh, I'm, yeah. o- I'm really curious about, you know, did people run out and read Gaywick after Vincent's episode? I hope that you did. Me too. But I'm always, I'm just curious. I, I wonder if we should resurrect our telephone number. Oh, so yeah. people can respond to them in some way. I have another reason we should resurrect our telephone number that I can't remember right now, but I will remember and I'll tell it to you later. All right. Welcome, everyone, <laughs> to Faded Mates. I'm Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. And I'm Jennifer Prokop, a romance reader and editor. And editor. And this week we're doing a read-along because we haven't done one in a while. We haven't. Okay, so we are going to be reading... Okay, we kept calling them Harlequin Desires. They are not. They are Harlequin Blazes. Blaze. Blaze is the hot one, everyone. Yeah. But it doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't. You're going to look down at your phone right now. A few years ago, at some point, we had made a joke about how if we were in charge of Harlequin, we would be coming up with lines, and we joked that we would have one called Harlequin Inferno. Mm -hmm. And Kelly actually made a mock-up of you and I on the front of one of these covers. Yes, Perfect. And it said Harlequin Inferno instead of Harlequin Braze. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want. I was, fun fact, a Blaze subscriber. Oh, me too. For some length of time. But this predates ebooks. I mean, like, yes. this, this was like in the early days of the line because I was so excited that there was a. So, wait, I feel like we need to go back. I know. We need to talk. Uh, look, if you've been <laughs> listening to Fade Mates for basically any length of time, we've talked about the history of category romance. You should, you know, the Re- Rebecca Romney episode, we talked a little bit about that. We talked about it with Steve Amidown. Um, We'll put a bunch of links to other category romance, kind of broad category romance links. We did a read-along in the, was it season one or season two, where we, we like, found our wildest categories from yes. back in the day? We did a read-along of Naima's, Naima's categories last year, right? Right. So, long story short, category romances are much shorter than what we call single title romances, which is why often when we do an episode about them, we talk about a couple two at a or time. three um, instead of one because you all are fast readers and you can keep up with us. <laughs> and so, but there was a time, and Beverly talked about this in her Trailblazer um episode where there were 20 lines of romance novels. Like, there were 20 different brands. And so as readers, you know, you could read Harlequin Presents or Harlequin Blaze or, you know, 
candlelight ecstasy or... And those still exist. Like, different lines exist, but now it's just really Harlequin. What used to be every major publishing house had its category line, right? Sure. Kensington had, like, Arabesque Mm -hmm. and Daphina, and then Harlequin had all of its lines. I mean, and Harlequin at some point probably had 30 lines running concurrently. And then there were Love Swept, and there was Silhouette, and there were, you know, all these different places um, where you could get these kind of short, quick, delicious reads. Now, many of those lines have been shuttered. Well— and they're always kind of adjusting and readjusting them, right? So Harlequin probably still has 12 or 15 different lines. Mm-hmm. But they are, they're really, you know, they're, and some of the classics, Harlequin Presents, Harlequin Desire. But now, you know, it's like Harlequin Suspense or Harlequin. There's, a you know, a lot of actually Harlequin lines that are essentially probably, you know, closed door or like Christian because those are pretty popular in, you know, in the places those books are sold, right? Like grocery stores or whatever. So Blaze. Blaze is gone, right? Blaze is gone. I mean, when Blaze was invented, I remember when Blaze was launched and it was like, this is where the hot books are going to go. And it was because Desire had been like kind of pushing into something more. And Harlequin had these very rigid rules about what goes where. What could be in these books. And I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves trailblazer wise, but we are, t- we eventually soon you will hear from somebody who will explain like the kind of rules situation. Um, but there is, you know, desire started to feel hotter and hotter, mm-hmm. which was great for me. For us. Yeah. Right. And then it was like, somebody at Harlequin was like, pause. They can't get any hotter. So let's start blaze. And then Blaze started, and then that's when I became a Blaze subscriber. I, I almost instantly subscribed because I knew I was going to read all those books. Of course. Well, and it's interesting because now in Kindle, the way that works is you can get essentially, well, I mean, obviously not with Blaze anymore, but with what with desires, where you like one ebook price and you get all four that happen in a month or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, these are like now you can digital get these from things. libraries too. Yeah, well. right. Absolutely. So I think that. And what I'm going to do in show notes, I still haven't quite figured out. There's, like, a little tech thing I'm trying to figure out, which is how to link to a specific page in a PDF that's online. Someone out there is like, that's dumb and easy. But it's—I've been trying. Anyway, because in the Rebecca Romney catalog, she explains essentially, like, the— the 80s, like, category romance wars and, like, what caused them. Like, essentially what caused the rise of silhouette in— as a direct competitor with Harlequin. And it's and it's fascinating. So, you know, these are there's a lot of really interesting history about when publishers thought they could make money off of books like this and when they couldn't. Mm-hmm. Essentially. Well, so Blaze the Line mm-hmm. began in 2001, in August mm-hmm. of 2001. And I mean, it makes sense. That's right. Yep. Right as things as paranormal started, like, Mm -hmm. well, we've talked about this before, that we really marked 2000, last season, we marked 2000 as, like, the seat, the moment where, like, the, a massive shift in romance. And so things that sort of predate 2000 are things that we've always sort of thought of as, like, old school. Right. And things that came, you know, 
that come after are, and maybe it is, I've always sort of felt like we dance around this, not you and I dance, but like as a genre, we dance around these definitions and these like markers being about sex in large part because we don't want to be perceived as the outside of by the outside world as being like just about sex even though like women are allowed to have sex like right. it's fine right people are allowed to have sexual like identities and feelings. right growth and right um but i i often think that that's why we dance around the flame and the flower as like a modern yeah as the the kind of fo- one of the foundational texts because nobody right. wants to say the obvious thing which is like Sex there are on orgasms page. on page, right? right? There's like a real, there are real sex scenes on in that book, and I think that right around that that moment between 1999 and 2001, that's when like sex starts to really ramp up in a big not, way, and yeah. not like obviously it's been happening on page before then, but like we start to see like concrete nouns. I was gonna say right the elimination of the velvet cave. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right? His manhood. Uh, you know, things like that. That And sex scenes start to get longer. Like, yeah. you know, Stephanie Lawrence rolls in with her 25-page <laughs> sex scenes and, like, changes the historical game. And we talked right. about this when we talked about Devil's Bride. But, like, before Stephanie, sex scenes were not. Miss Bev has also talked about that, right? Like, when we back, went back and read Indigo, we were both like, wait, this book is hot. Now, this would have been, Indigo was, what, 1995? Right. So, in some ways, I think she was, uh, you know, she had read the tea leaves, maybe, right. about that. Right? A trailblazer, if you, if you will. And so, I do think that some of that is, you know, it's these dates are always a little mushy. Somebody before was doing it really well. Somebody later was slow to catch up. But... It is really interesting to me. And then when did Blaze shutter? When did they close it? Do you have that date? When was okay. the last Hang Blaze? On. These were two 2016. It was really recent because I remember people being really upset. Yeah, like, wait, are you kidding me? There's no market for this anymore? What? Uh, it looks like the last one was June of 2017. Well, Suzanne Ruby's Easy Ride. I wonder if that's just straight-up competition from KU. It has to be, because that's what I was going to say. So, in 2001, we've talked about this before, there were no ebooks. Mm-hmm. Like, it was print only. Print Every only. Every bookstore existed still, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we were still looking at Walden and B. Dalton and Borders. Barnes Noble and Borders. Like, ev- like think it's kind of hard to wrap your head around the vast difference of the bookstore landscape in 20 years. I mean, like, the number of bookstores that just disappeared because Amazon. So, I don't know. When did Amazon open? Right around Late 90s. I mean, late 90s, but they didn't really become Amazon until... Until, yeah. So, we are looking at... It it took until... There was another almost decade, I would say before indies and self-pub authors were really taking off in huge numbers. Like, we saw as this was moving forward, this is when so many of these authors who had written 100, 150, 200 category romances were finally able to get those books back for themselves, right? Right. So I think we've talked about this before, but it's worth reminding everybody that categories have a very short lifespan. All romance, well, 
all mass market romance yes. has a short lifespan, right? So, and that's because the sheer, it's a numbers game. There just isn't enough shelf space. So to give you an example, a book of mine comes out in August, comes out the last week of August. I have about six weeks of like what we call shelf like time, yeah. real shelf life. Like I'm privileged enough that my books get, you know, often stay on the shelves after that, but you know, you really, you sell the bulk of your books in the first six weeks. Yeah. It's not like in literary fiction or, you know, in other genres, YA, you might have like a long, like lingering life. And then you hit the New York Times list on week like 25 because your book has finally like found its audience. In romance, if you don't hit on week one or two, like you're not going to hit. Well, now you might if unless you you're on TikTok. become unless you're um, yeah right, but so but even then that is a very small set of I books. Mean, and the other thing that happens though, this is the way the romance reader works. Though, of course, everyone knows this because they're out there doing it. Is you do find an author you like, and if they have a backlist, well, yeah, but no, not everybody is finding the backlist at the same time. So I would imagine that's like a steady sales force in the back, right? In right. your and stable then, of books, but not. I mean, like- this is uh, if you all are interested in like this kind of minutia, we can do an episode where we like answer questions about like the business. But we are going to do this at our next episode because our next episode is with two authors who have a lot of publishing questions. So Mm -hmm. as people are listening to this, one of the things I'm going to recommend is like respond to us on Twitter with these questions because I think actually this might be coming. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So we can do as much as we can. Like if you ask us the questions and I don't know the answer off the top of my head, we'll try and figure it out. Um, But my point about this is, so we, um, so like that's, and I write what's called single title, a a bigger book, a thicker book. Um, But these books, when they come out four, five, six at a time in the month, they were coming out and you would get them you know, if you were a subscriber or you would walk into B. Dalton and you would buy the, they would be on the spinner and you would just buy the whatever books you wanted. And then that was it. Like they went away because next month there were another four or five, six books coming out in the same line. So they would literally just pull off all the Harlequin Presents and put them all back in. Yep. The new ones in. Right. And what's interesting about this is that then those books just poof, yeah. disappeared. You can't get, which is why Rebecca Romney finding the first 500 Harlequin. Love's Webster, whatever, you know, right? Yeah, whatever's was unbelievable because it was just like, I mean, it really is like a unicorn. Because these books just were not, are not designed to stay in print. That said, it was a boon for the writers who had started writing early in the yes. 80s and 90s and early thousands because when Amazon launched Kindle, well, actually when Sony launched, like they're, you know, the remember e-reader, the Sony right. e-reader? Uh, yes. Um, you know, when, when all these kind of, when there were whispers of this new format, that this ebook format, and we all said, like, no one's, no ever one's gonna, gonna read do this. Ebooks. Right. Like, this is not the way people read. These are not real books. Like, I can remember having these conversations as a reader. Like, I wanna hold my book. What nonsense. Right. <laughs> we were all, I mean, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know. <laughs> I know, we didn't know. So, the, um, but smart authors like Barbara Freethy were like, hang on a second. I want, and they went back to their contracts, and they were like, I want all these books 
I want the rights back to them. They're yeah. out of print. Contracts for books have often have what's called a, you know, an out of print clause in it, in them where you, it basically says like, if you sell less than say 200 books in a, in a period, in a six month period, the book is considered out of print and you get the rights back. Yeah. And Barbara was like, hang on a second. I want them all. I want every one of them back. And at this point, all the houses, all the publishers were like, sure. Okay. okay. Like, what are we, what are we gonna, gonna do, do with, with all them? these books? And so Barbara got, you know, I don't know how many. We should have Barbara on. Yeah. <laughs> but she got all these books back and then just quietly put them up. And for people who were early adopters of the Kindle, Barbara Deli- Barbara, Barbara, Barbara Freezy books were that's yeah. what was there. That's so what was like, there. I'm gonna They're read like, all okay, these. I'm gonna read these. Books. And Barbara's books are great. They're f- great categories. And so she became the best-sellingest author of all time on Amazon because she was just really. I mean, talk about somebody who was just brilliant from the jump. And saw that market, right? Saw the future, knew what she wanted, knew how to capitalize on it. Anyway, all of this is to say, category is fascinating. It is. Um, because I think it takes a very specific kind of writer to pull it off, to do it well. And then on top of it, readers are, it's one of the few places, I think, in all of publishing where readers are committed to a brand. Yes, right, exactly. Like, this is my line and I'm sticking to it, right? Like, I was, you know, I mean, I'm like, I will read a Harlequin Desire, but not of this. I will read a Silhouette Intimate Moments, but not a Silhouette Special Edition, right? I mean, so yeah, people have their, their the ones that they like. And, and then you're kind of like, if they're serving it up to me, I can, and that was a great way to discover new authors, right? It was a great way to sort of get somebody on your radar and be like, oh, I really like this person. So yeah, it's, it is really interesting. It's really interesting to, to think about, about category this way. But I also well, it's think like, it's like dish detergent. And I don't say that with like a, I, no. I don't, like, I don't know how else to describe it except to say like, you just, you're, you just, you went to the spinner and you just like took yes. all of the presents off the spinner. Yes. And, like, that was it. You just, those were your books for the month. I'm not sure that we uh, came up with the the phrase romance reasons when we were talking about category, but romance reasons is where category lives. And oh, what I mean by where, that it's is. Where it shines. Yes. <laughs> it's, like, really where we see, like, the glory of romance reasons. Because there are a lot of ways in which, like, the setup of a category romance is just the setup. There is no sense at all mm-hmm. that the author or the reader really expects, like, once it is put on page, it is essentially fact, right? And so we, you can really go into it with a really different set of expectations where you don't have to sort of question. <laughs> and I, there's a specific, a specific, a really specific way that it plays out that we can talk about with these books. And I think there's also a way in which big like convoluted backstory things also become their most distilled, simplified, right? So it works both at an exposition level, here's the setup, Mm -hmm. but also it works at a plot level. And so, I mean, exposition is plot, but I mean like plotting in terms of how characters interact with each other. A thousand percent. And this is why 
when we look at big indie authors, even the ones who are writing more words than, I mean, mm-hmm. these are 60 to 70, I mean, yeah. 75,000 words, like not, they're short. Mm-hmm. But even when we look at like big indie authors writing today in 2021, even longer, you can see the bones of categories in them. Yeah. In a lot of ways, because like indie authors have a, a largely, I mean, again, I'm speaking very broadly, but they tend to have a much more um, fine-pointed way of managing tropes. They tend to understand sort of intuitively what a romance reader wants Mm -hmm. in terms of emotion and like that sort of straight shot of plot. And these are things that come from category. From category. I agree. we've talked to, again, you know, Coming soon in the Trailblazers, we're going to talk to a few people who um, wrote category and then wrote single title. And you can really see how category teaches. When I I do, for example, I teach a conflict course um, for romance writers, category is a great place to, like, learn. Right. It's a learning ground for a lot of the structural things that we talk about around yes, romance. I would agree. Category, great category writers just write incredibly well. They have an intuitive sense of pacing, storytelling, like the whole the whole thing. Because they don't have they don't have room for the fat, right? Everything has to be trimmed, right? So, okay, let's talk about these three books then. <laughs> yeah, all of that said, whatever. All of that being said, forty five minutes in, I hope it's not that long. It's not. I don't think. All right. So these are okay. So these are. This is a series called Men at Work. These are very loosely interlinked. I mean, they're really not. It's not even barely, like, barely, right? Like they'll mention a character, right? And so the tie, the tie that binds it all together is they're all set in a similar, a little Oregon town, I think Lost Lake or something. And the first one is called Her Halloween Treat. Mm-hmm. The, it is the story. It is a, uh, basically a, a, she's on the rebound. It's a rebound romance that works. Her Naughty Holiday, which is, I think, the best Thanksgiving romance ever written. <laughs> and then One Hot December, which I was really contemplating why they didn't call it Her Hot December, because I feel like there's naming protocols. It really but, should have been Her Hot Hanukkah, but. Yes. Yeah. And, which is, what's really interesting is, even though it has a Christmas tree on the front, it's really a Hanukkah romance. Correct. Or a romance about discovering Hanukkah, I guess. And they were released, it's important to point out, they were released in three consecutive months, October, November, December of 2016. Yes. These are numbered 912, 916, and 920. A particularly rough time of our lives, <laughs> Exactly. God, these must have been like such a, ooh. I didn't even really, okay, let's not talk that. Shelby, not not shall be named. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's so in and you know what else is really interesting? I was thinking about this is these are all very um, like I mean, men at work is the title, but you know that could mean anything in romance. But these literally are almost all of them. All of the characters are uh, like like laborers in the sense that they are working on and building like houses, mm. right? Except for the last one, right? She's <laughs> My guy isn't a laborer. Your guy guy is just a billionaire. Your guy's just a billionaire. He's like a he's a millionaire. Yeah. But the first two guys are um one guy is a con they're con con one guy's a contractor, one guy does like roofing and siding. And then in the third book, she yeah, in the third book, she's a welder. She's yeah, she's the laborer. Right, right. Um 
how do we want to tackle these, Sarah? Do we want I to think- just... What do we want to do except be like, I, they're great. I know. We really enjoyed them. Um, okay. I think we need to talk about, so we've talked a ton about category. Yeah. Let's talk about holidays. Yes. Like the value of the holiday romance. Got it. Okay. Because I think that that's a lot of what's going on in these books is the joy. And the, it's interesting because I had favorite, I had, I mean, I had clear favorites and yeah. I had a clear favorite. My clear favorite is middle one. It's, it is, uh, look, the other two are good. The middle one, the Thanksgiving one is superb. And I think part of the reason why the clear, my clear favorite is the middle one is because it really leans into holiday. Yes. Like, we see the holiday on page. We see, like, all the pieces of holiday romance that we expect. Like, there's, except it's all sort of twisted and turned on its head. So that said, I want to just say, like, one, I think this is cool because I think this might be the first time I ever read a Thanksgiving romance. Mm-hmm. It might be the first time I ever read a, ha- a Halloween romance. Yeah. It certainly was not the first time that I'd ever read a, a December set romance, but, like, there is this kind of— yeah. Tiffany is always—Tiffany Rice has this— you know, she's a pretty legendary figure in romance despite her youth. I mean, like, she— yeah, although right. I suppose, like— I mean, everybody feels young to me now. It's like we all grew up together. And so surely we're all, it's like, surely it's still 2005. But Tiffany's books have always been really curious. Like they're, they're not, they're not standard. So she's really well known for a series called The Original Sinners. I haven't read those because there's a priest, so sorry, everybody. But it's, like, people love them. People are, like, this is, like, people are, yeah, like, she's not true new. fans. She's, those came out in 2012. So, I mean, what do we know? What do I know? I mean, she has, like, devote a devoted fan base for those. But then mm-hmm. she also has written some, these are not the only categories she's written. She wrote another one that was really great about a, a ghost like a like a ghost on the campus of like a boarding school or something that I also really loved. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look up the title. So she also it's really interesting to me because I do think one of the things that I think people think and I I don't think it's true and I think Tiffany proves this is that you might start in category but you would like leave it behind. And I feel like she's a really good example instead for someone who, like, every once in a while, it's like, I've got a couple great ideas that would be category length. Let me, like, bounce back in there and do my thing. And she just kind of knows what, instinctively where things belong, which is nice. But, like, for example, Tiffany was the first person to win a Rita um, with a a queer character, with a bisexual character. Mm -hmm. She has always, like dealt with kink. She's dealt with BDSM. She's, and always with like a really thoughtful eye. She is one of the first authors that I recommend to people when they're looking at like how to do that right, how to do it like with respect. Um, And so I think she's just somebody who, she's, she's somebody who romance respects and knows to turn to for like romance writers like tiffany's yes a lot a writer's writer is that a thing in romance i I, probably is i feel like it it should be because it really is it's great i mean and she seems to be able to like you said like she's just good at all of it she's she sort of has an instinct for all of it so um 
When you're writing holiday, though, there's this kind of promise of yes. what you're going to deliver. Right. And and I think you're ahead. right that all of these are, like, a little subversive, right? So if it's a Halloween, if it's a Halloween romance, then people are going to be in costume. But the way they are in costume in her, in, in her Halloween treat is the people are in costume at a wedding, Right. At her Thanksgiving holiday, the Thanksgiving dinner is get the fuck out of my house. Right. One hot December is not about Christmas, but it's actually Hanukkah. Right. So that I think is like the cool thing is you're going to get what you expected, but in a different way than you expected with these books. Her Halloween treat. Talk. Let's talk about that one. Okay. So I actually, okay. I've read all these books and actually own all these books in paper. The one thing you should know is, for some reason, One Hot December is shinier than the other ones, and I don't know why. Is it because of that goatee? <laughs> like, liter- the, like, literally, the goatee like, the, the paper is different. Anyway. <laughs> um, her Halloween treat. Oh, listen. I loved it. I'd read it before, but kind of forgotten, because I always usually reread mm-hmm. the Thanksgiving one. Okay, so Joey is our heroine. She is, this is terrible, it's actually horrifying. She lives in Hawaii. She, her boyfriend, she works for an airline. Her boyfriend lives in L.A. So she is going to go to Oregon for her older brother, Dylan, is getting married, is going to be marrying his longtime boyfriend, Oscar. And so she is going to, she's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to surprise my boyfriend in L.A. on my way to Oregon because I'll be, you know, on the mainland. And she knocks on her boyfriend's front door and his wife answers. And she had no idea that he was married. He'd been, I mean, two years she had been dating this guy. He basically lived with her when he was, um, you know, because he also works for the airline. So he has, like, is splitting time between L.A. and Hawaii. Sure. So she literally, like, jumps in the cab because she's like, she was like, wait, maybe he won't be home, and flees home to a small town near Mount Hood in Oregon. And there she hooks up with her brother's best friend, a guy that she knew in high school, Chris Stephenson. And her best friend is like, listen, the best way to get over a man is to get under another one. And so she takes this to heart and she and Chris basically jump into bed and have incredible sex. This is the value of Tiffany's <laughs> books. Like there's just no, like yes. there's there's no moment for the characters where like one they, they're just sex positive. Yes. Like, there's yes. never a moment where, like, we shouldn't do this. We like, shouldn't. I don't know. It's like, does it feel good? Does it feel like we're going to be safe? Does it feel like we're going to respect each other in the morning? Yes. Then let's, let's do it. It's awesome. Listen, I loved it. Because I, I do, I did. I loved it. And I also was thinking to myself, have I ever read, like, a rebound romance before where you really are getting someone who is straight out of another relationship. And it's funny because the one I was thinking of is Careless Whispers by Cynthia Williams, which I put on the best mm-hmm. of. This is something that happens where people are, like, bouncing right out of one relationship into a, into another mm-hmm. one. And it's great. Chris is, like, a contractor. He's been rebuilding these, like, little cottages for Dylan and Oscar. That's Dylan's new husband. And she is going to be in town for two weeks until the wedding, which is on her birthday, which is Halloween. And the wedding is essentially, like, an 80s-themed costume wedding because both Oscar and Dylan were born in the 80s. And they were like, we're going to have, like, an 80s 80s costume wedding. Wear your 80s costume. 
gives Jen an opportunity to wallow <laughs> in 80s references without feeling like the book is dated. Well, here's the other thing I will say. <laughs> Listen, I the other thing I really appreciated about the 80s, so they get to the wedding at the end, and it really dives into, like, the kooky, wacky 80s shit. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, the if you're really going to dive into the 80s and you're not going to talk about, like, I don't know, you know, someone comes in a Goonies costume and someone else comes. Yeah. Exactly. It was all the obscure shit. And I think that it, you know, kind of made, there was, like, this, you know, real reason for it, not just, like, I'm, you know, 22 right now, but somehow I have, like, a only knowledge of the Meg Ryan oeuvre of rom-coms, right? Right. It was great. It was pretty low conflict. I mean, the conflict is, she says to him, we're going to have sex for two weeks. We're probably going to break each other's hearts, but we are we're we know what we're going to do, but I'm going back to Hawaii at the end. Don't promise me you'll just let me go. Yep. And he's like, yeah, but I love you. And she's like, you promised. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then they figure it out. And it was terrific. But I think that that's part of what, it's, it's interesting because like Tiffany's, like, the original Sinner series is not low conflict. Like, that is right. pretty high conflict shit. <laughs> like, again, it just goes to her show. It, it's just clear that she has a really big bag of tricks. Yeah. You know, and um, because my, I I mean, let's talk about the Thanksgiving book, um, but I I want to talk about, I want to come back to that low conflict thing when we talk about the, the December book. Because, yes. Um, I think she does a really interesting thing in the plotting of the December book, but... Yes, me too, and yeah. I want to talk about it. Okay. Uh, so, her naughty holiday, which we've <laughs> talked about before yes. on the podcast, but is a Thanksgiving book, which is sort of a weird, like, again, yeah. feels like Thanksgiving is one of those holidays that, Listen, like... Listen, I'm going to tell you why. We want to know why? Yeah. Okay. One, because nobody wants to fuck after eating much of turkey. That's no. why. No. You just want to go to bed. This is in a, not in the sexy way, in the like I'm too <laughs> full way. In a, I want to, you want to put on your Joey Tribbiani pants. <laughs> I think Thanksgiving can be a very fraught, fraught holiday. It's family. Maybe you have ambivalence about, I mean, there is a reason why when everyone talks about like talking to your racist uncle, it's over Thanksgiving. Okay, listen. So we're watching, have you ever watched that? Sh- you don't watch TV. Sorry. But this is a Chicago set show. Um, I did not know that this show existed. Happy Endings? No. You know this show existed? Okay, it was like, I think it came out in like 2015. I don't know. Okay. It's on Netflix, everyone. It's basically like a 2015 Friends. It's mm-hmm. like they, literally, I think it is six Friends. It's three seasons. It's actually very funny and like very light. And Eric and I are watching this right now because, you know, we just are. Like, it's just yeah. something a little less like weighty. Sure. Um, but it's set in Chicago. And so I don't know. But we were watching, so we've been binging it. And the other night we watched the Christmas episode. And I gotta say, holiday episodes of television shows, all those Thanksgiving episodes yes. of Friends, like they sort of sell you a false bill of goods on holidays where like, there's this mythology on television that you will spend your adult lives having holidays with your close friends. Right. And that is not <laughs> That's accurate. Not <laughs> like, 
Instead, when you, like, grow up and you're an adult, like, you end up kind of feeling beholden to all of your multitude of families um, and having to, like, go through these fraught experiences with people who, let's be honest, sometimes you don't really care for. Yeah. But you're kind of stuck having this kind of mythologically important day with people who maybe you wouldn't choose to have that day with. As a teacher, there's also a lot of, like, really... I mean, the mythology of Thanksgiving goes deeper than just, like, you know, I love my family, it's this perfect day. Oh, yeah. That Pilgrim and Indian bullshit is so awful. And actually, there's a really great video, I'm going to put it in show notes, from the Smithsonian Museum of the American Indian, where um, they interview a man who I think is, uh, I think it's Cherokee, but it might be, I can't remember his tribal affiliation. I'm sorry, everybody. I, I'm now spitballing and didn't do my, like, bring it to the table with his name. But he talks about, like, Thanksgiving being about, like, the story we like to tell ourselves as a country. Mm. So it's both at a personal level, the story we like to tell ourselves about our family or about who we are. But, I mean, so Thanksgiving is, ooh, so many. It's so much. Thanksgiving is a lot. I mean, like, (laughs) Thanksgiving is a lot, too. Many of you out there have have young children and are trying to, like, navigate how to tell that story to your kids. And, like, Mm -hmm. you know. This video is great. In our house. Yeah, we just, we we skip it all together. Yeah. No, and you know what? <laughs> I will put some links to, like, really great picture books by Native authors. Like, there's there are resources out there, so you do not have to feel like you are, like, selling this really mm-hmm. toxic and, you know, racist story about, like, pilgrims and Indians and all that stuff. Yeah. So I feel very blessed that we are doing this, that we are raising a kid in public schools in New York City where they don't do this, but I know in other places they do yeah, this. Right. So. so if you are a person who has struggled with this, I please check show notes and I I will will do that. Well some of that stuff will be in there. It's really interesting. But you know, I think that it's so it's interesting to have a Thanksgiving romance where Clover essentially, even though she's a successful businesswoman, her family thinks she is just, like, this garbage human who dropped out of, you know, college and has, like, a dumb job where she rings up people at a nursery, as opposed to a multi-million dollar business that she owns and runs by herself. And so she has hired this little teenage, like, kind of 17 or 18-year-old girl is her to work in the shop, and this girl is I love this. setting up Clover with her dad. I think it's so cute. It really is like the perfect rom-com, like movie rom-com setup. I will also say, you know what I was thinking about this book is? Okay, so, um, you know, dad jokes are like a thing, like a dad joke. This Mm -hmm. book is actually truly funny, but like in a a sexy dad joke way. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to describe it. Like... They are constantly, like, joking and punning with each other. Um, His name's Eric Fields, by the way. Tiffany is very funny. Like, there's a, that's the entire, a lot of the dialogue of um, her One Hot December is, like, silly sex jokes. Yeah, she's funny. And I've heard someone say before that, like, she, like, is a great person if you need someone to punch up your jokes. Oh, that's funny. If you know Tiffany, I guess that's, like, a... Yeah, if you're writing rom-coms. Yeah. <laughs> it's truly, truly funny. Yeah. So Eric and so 
this is honestly, I don't think I've ever loved a scene more. So um, the daughter, whose name I'm kind of spacing out on right now. What's the daughter's uh, name? Ruth. Ruthie. Yeah. Okay. Ruthie is going to spend the week in L.A. with her mom for Thanksgiving. Her dad picks her up to take her to the airport, and then he shows up back at Clover's, and he's like, oh, she forgot her phone here. And it turns out she totally does it to, like, set her dad up. And so Ruthie is has set them up, and Clover says to Eric, well, would you by any chance, like, you're really cute be my, like, fake boyfriend at Thanksgiving for my family. She's also a virgin. Yes. Which I think is fascinating because she's 30 years old and a virgin. And he doesn't know this. We don't either. And he says to her, he's like, yeah, sure, that actually sounds great. Can we have real sex all week? She's like, yes. So you're like, okay. It's awesome. (laughs) It's awesome. This book is so, honestly, I don't, this book is perfect. Do you want to talk about what happens at Thanksgiving dinner? We're going to spoil it, everybody. Oh, well, she's just everybody treats her terribly. It's what this is your kink. This, this is, is your my full kink. kink. Fully, so you should tell her. Tell everybody. Okay, here's what I loved about this. So, so she says to Eric, she keeps saying like, "My family's going to be awful, but promise me you're not going to start anything. We're just gonna yeah, just get through it and bear it." And they have been essentially having great sex for four days. Like he's like. You know, it's it's uh, it's so terrific. They've been having great sex for four days, and now it's Thanksgiving, and, like, her family shows up, and they're terrible to her. They are terrible to her in every way that they can be terrible. They are dismissive of her. They make mm-hmm. a joke about how much weight she's gained. They call her a college dropout. They don't bring the nieces and nephews, which were the only part she was looking forward to. And she'd done all this work and, like, fun things. Like, they were going to build birdhouses with Eric. It was so cute, right? And so, and then, though, one of them insults Ruthie, who is not there. Because Ruthie, one of the reasons, she'd gotten into trouble at school. I'm not going to get into it. It's great. She got in trouble at school, and and her mom essentially says something very disparaging about Ruthie. And so, Clover finally loses her temper, and she curses out everyone at the table and throws everyone out, including Eric. And he's like, what did I do? And she's like... (laughs) They insulted your daughter, and you let them. And he's like, but you told me not to You say told anything. me not to say anything. <laughs> and she kicks them all out. She's like, get it's out. Great. It's like, the, it's living the dream. Let's be honest. <laughs> I know. I think Everybody out of my house. <laughs> get out. Get out. We're just going to eat what's left here without you. Go. Exactly. I'm going to eat this stuffing <gasps> with a fork. <laughs> out Standing of, over the stove. Out right? of the pot. The whole entire pie for me. It's amazing. It, oh, yeah, it was great. It's great. This, I, and it is my favorite in, lar- in large part because it is like fantasy fulfillment for me. Like, oh, yeah, right. You know, which maybe makes me a real bad person. But And I was also thinking, you know, there's been a, a lot of fake dating books lately. Yeah, it's, but this is a cute one. This is a cute version of it because there's, it handles fake dating in a really useful, in a really interesting way. One, the timeline is exceptionally short. Yes. I find fake dating to be the very best trope when it is extremely tight. Like yes. a weekend, a yes. night, like right. a wedding, where yes. there is just like a, such a finite amount of time because it amps up all the emotion of it and it makes it feel like at the end, like there is there is a an end. When yes. it's like we're gonna fake date for six months, then I'm like, 
But the are you though? There's just yeah. no. There's it feels often like flabby. Yeah, like the writing of in very rare, with the exception of rare cases, like you just can't keep it. Tight. Yeah, it's hard to sustain. Right, absolutely. So you're totally right, and I think also the other thing that you know. Tiffany understands that when you come to a category, you come to it for tropes. You come to the October book for Brother's Best Friend. Yes. You come to the November book for Fake Dating. And then you come to the December book for Boss, like, yes. Boss Employee, which is a totally, like, again, she sort of flips the whole trope on its head in the December book. We've mentioned how funny this book is. This book is really funny, but also, like, so Ruthie is this, like, kind of eco-feminist. I don't know. I just made up that term, but that's maybe what she call herself. And, like, mm-hmm. sort of the whole, like, the whole thing about, like, what people deserve from their lover and, and all this is really great. But also, like, Clover's last name is Green, and her brother's name is Hunter, and her sister's name is Kelly. And I was literally, like... Can you fucking imagine the torturous childhood these kids must have had with those names? Oh, my names? God. What Terrible. were these parents thinking? I mean, but that's part of Tiffany's humor, right? Yes, exactly. There, I did have one other thing I wanted to say about her Halloween treat before we move forward, which is that the back cover copy of her Halloween treat has the line, What a dick. And I'm like, oh, that, like, this yeah. is a, a, which, you know, whatever, All a lot of you are like, so what, Sarah? But, like, the idea of the, of Harlequin putting that line on the back cover of something, it just shows there are all these kind of little moments where you start to see the genre yes. shifting. And it's interesting because this is right before they end Blaze, and it's like they knew yeah. that what they were doing, like, Every they had to make changes in order to compete with what was mm-hmm. happening in indie and self pub, and they were doing what they could. Clearly, yes, making right. a bid for an audience that had never really come for Harlequin. That's a good point. I think um, I think about this a lot because if you ever read, okay, this is before we get to December. If you ever read the original back cover copy of a Love Swept. They are, it's florid. I mean, the prose is so, it's really amazing. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that they, like, have rewritten them now to be sort of, like, more, like, more straight, right? Like, more like, okay, this is the boss, and this is what happened. Yeah. But, like, Like, I... uh, A clearer sense of the trope. Yes. I mean, I would, when I... You sent me a box of these once, and I pulled them out, and I was like, oh, reading the backs of these, this is amazing! (laughs) They are... Hilarious. I'll put some in show notes where you can see like a a kind of before and then something yeah. that has survived essentially and been converted into an ebook. Like how different they are. I mean, it was. I mean, I think it's really interesting. So there, you know, this is a pause in our in yeah. the episode, but the you know they're re-releasing Nine Rules to Break when romancing a rake in March. Yeah, and that's my first historical romance, like adult romance. And we rewrote the cover copy because it's yeah. 12 years old. Right. And it's right. not hugely different, but yeah, things change. The world changes and the genre changes, and there's a new cover and there's new copy too. Right. And so I do think, I don't know, romance is so cool. It is, right? It's exactly. So cool. so, I love it's it. It's so 
fluid and it allows itself to change, which I think is so interesting. And anyway, so One Hot December is the third book in the series. Yes. Um, And like you said, it has a Christmas tree on the cover and a Christmas wreath on the cover. Um, But the pro, the, the the level of holiday in this book is like really light touch. There isn't yes. a whole lot of holiday happening here. Right. Um and she does this really interesting thing trope wise. So the the trope is boss employee, the heroine uh Flash. Her real name is Veronica, but she's a welder and so her <laughs> friends if you've talk about an 80s Oh yeah. an 80s cut. Um her friends because she's this like hot lady welder. Yeah. Um she they call her Flash, which is short for Flash Dance. Which um, Daryl, sorry, Mr. Reed's romance and I watched that in the past couple years. It's it's like bar- there's barely a plot. It's like a music video. Yeah, movie. it's like hot welding and also sure. dancing. And bike riding around Pittsburgh. That's what it's about. Gosh, setting a movie in Pittsburgh. Sure. Awesome. The Rust Belt, you know. So, um, she, everyone calls her Flash. She's the only girl, woman, she's not a girl. She's (laughs) the only woman who works at this, like, this construction company that's run by Ian Asher, who, um, is, you know, hot and wealthy (laughs) and runs this construction company. He's the son of a guy who's like a state representative. A state senator. Or state senator who's about to run for the United States House of Representatives. Like, there's a lot of, like, money and power and name in this family. And Flash is, like, covered in tattoos, and she has, like, a shock of fire engine red hair and she's a welder and she's super badass and when it starts you're sort of dumped into this like world where she is um she like like in chapter one she walks into his office and she's like um they start talking and as a reader you're like oh there's something here and then they start to have like full-on like sexy flirting yes like and or it's not really flirting because but it's like very sexy the mm-hmm. talk yes. and it's clear that these two have had sex before and it turns out they've had they had sex a month earlier or like 6 months I'm sorry 6 months earlier they yes. had they had sex 6 months earlier and it was a one night stand and he was like oh shit this can't happen cuz you work for me now this is where I would say my exposition and plotting is just romance reasons, right? Like, she's like, I'm out. I'm quitting. And you're like, okay, boom. They had a one-night stand. This is what's happening. She's quitting. She's going to work for Clover. Like, it just is all, like, you're like, okay, boom. That's the connect. She's going to work yes. for Clover. But she's also an artist. Like, she's got this, like, very cool life. Yes. Like, this is the most old-school heroine job yes. book. Yeah, I'm a welder. Is, right? Absolutely. And that's the other thing about categories that we love is there's always everybody always has cool jobs. Yes. So she like leaves and he's like basically there and then almost instantly they're basically like together. Like yeah, having because now she doesn't work for him anymore. Right. So they can so he calls her over ostensibly to like, I don't know, fix a fireplace. Great. Romance reasons. Sure. And she comes over. She is a welder, Sarah. Yeah. I mean no one else could fix the if fireplace. You, great. If you know a welder, I guess that's what you do. <laughs> 
And so he, in his ski chalet, he and they have another. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and like everybody skis, and there's like it's just it's this like wild story. Anyway, so she and then they like start to have sex, and like within I don't know fifty pages, she's like, "I'm in love with him. I've been in love with him from the beginning." Yeah. And so there's like a little bit of an unrequited love thing going on here. But it's very, like, everyone's all in from the jump. Yes, absolutely. And that is, again, going back to what you said about the first book, the Halloween book, There's it's low conflict in a right. lot of ways. Because, like, these two just are super into each other. Yeah. And I would say that in this series in particular, the men are very into the women. In every single mm-hmm. book, it's the woman who's like, eh, I don't. I mean, Clover's well, not, this not one. Yeah, right. She's, yeah, that's true. I mean, Flash is into him. Although she's pissed at him. So I guess maybe that's where that, yeah. Right. She feels like he, he like, they they had this shot and then he, he basically, like, left her. But to be fair, he did, he was her boss. Although I have literally, I know that I'm, it makes me trash, but I've literally never cared about that. Not one time. Yeah, me neither. That, I don't care about that either. And, and look, I'm not <laughs> and saying. And in real life, you should not do this. But like, this is romance. Sure. And you know what? I understand there are a lot of people who are like, I can't read them. I'm like trash for this trope for sure. Here's the part though, when I was reading where I was like, this is a real streamlined like plot point. So if this had been a single title book, the reason that he broke up with her would have been way more of a, like, reveal. So basically, at some point, maybe halfway through, I can't remember because I was reading on a Kindle. Okay, so spoiler, you're going to skip this if you are going to read this later or whatever. He's like, well, I know that was real shitty the way I broke up with you, but as it turns out, a guy who worked at at the business saw us together and tried to blackmail me. And so then I had to call the cops and tell them that I was being blackmailed. And then I had to call this guy back into the office. And <laughs> but it all happens like off page. Yes. It just, and that's where I was like, in a, in a, in a longer, right? In a single title romance, this reveal you would have it. been handled so differently. Well, it would have been another. Yeah. 20,000 words. Yes, because it would have been on page, and then it would have been, like, six months later, (laughs) right? And, you know, it would have ended with him, like, breaking her heart and him being, like, the lawyer had told me I had to do it. And instead, it's, like, a page or two where she's like, well, that seems kind of shitty. Why didn't you just tell me? And he's like, well, what would you have done? She's like, well, I probably would have told everybody we are sleeping at work. And he's like, and then I would have had to fire you for this. And she's like, oh, darn. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so that, but that was it. I had this real interesting epiphany where I was like, in a category romance, the things that cause real life, you know, if they just get handled differently, the plotting of that event, it's like, I have to put it on page to explain why he broke up with her in such a shitty way, but it was literally like, I'm just going to explain it to you, boom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's great. It was great. And then I, yeah, it's great. And then Mrs. Scheinberg, can we talk about Mrs. Yes. Scheinberg? Yes. Next door neighbor. So um, Flash has this next door neighbor, Mrs. Scheinberg, who is in her 80s mm-hmm. and, like, is basically her bud. Yeah. You know, and has lived this whole Ian story with her. Yes. And, like, she knows that Flash is in love with Ian and she no. knows that's one night stand. And, like, she has, she's a little bit, um, 
like a fairy godmother. Yes. Where, like, there's a dress that and a makeup. Like she does Flash's makeup one day, and like yeah. she lends Flash's like beautiful dress, this vintage dress that she had when she was young. Um, that she wore with her husband. Yeah. And like there's just really magnificent relationship with an older neighbor yes. in this book. And I think we've talked about this before, but I really love it when there's an older woman yes. figure for the heroine who just like is there and like reminds me of Jessica Trent's Yes, grandmother. Uh, the grandmother, grandmother, right? Because this has this very real sense of like, is sex positive, understands the way the world works, understands, you know, at one point, Flash comes home in the, at midnight because she can't spend the night with Ian because she doesn't want to, like, give him too much of herself when he doesn't love her. Um, and, he, you know, the light is on in Mrs. Scheinberg's house, or, and, uh, and Flash, like, knocks on the door at midnight and Mr. Scheinberg is like, oh, why didn't you spend the night over yeah. there? You know? right. like it's a very right. charming relationship that you would see in a lot of other books as being like with a friend who is of a comparable age and a future heroine. And in this case is with, yeah. you know. And I also just want to point out that there's also talking, coming off of her naughty holiday. Yes. There's also a the dad, Ian's dad in this, who's, you know, about he's a politician, so, you know, you're conditioned to immediately think he's going to be a dirtbag. It's not. Like, he's a really, again, decent dude who just loves his kid and wants him to be happy. And despite the fact that there's a lot of perception of, like, well, the dad is not going to approve of Flash. Yes, and because, the dad is, right. Like, there are all these ways that Tiffany is subverting the stories that we expect. Like, because there is a moment where Flash— talking about, you know, flashbacks, there's a moment where Flash remembers that or recounts she had tried to attend a party at the Asher's, like, estate and had gotten basically turned away by the campaign manager for the dad, not by the dad and not at the request of the dad. Like, there's just a really nice, there are a couple of really nice relationships in this book that that are rare, I think, in category because we there isn't often space, space. made. For these other characters? Even, even going back to Clover's book, and then I do want to talk about the Hanukkah thing because we talked about it but haven't talked about it. Even the thing I really liked about the end, so there's the cathartic moment where Clover throws everybody out, but the way that it resolves itself is Eric overhears a one-sided conversation that Clover is having with her mom where she's like, you just can't talk like to me about, you just can't talk to me like that anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't ever want to hear you call me your little dropout again. Like, and and it's about boundary setting. And mm-hmm. I think that in any book with like a family, right? I think we talked once about another person who does a lot of, of really good stuff with um with like boundary setting is we talked about that one series of that Ruby Lang wrote where I think it's Clean Breaks, the one with the doc- house. No, no, the one the medical one. Yeah, there's one with a doctor mm-hmm. and her family where she's setting really cl- clear boundaries, and I just really love that with Clover. And so I do think it's nice to have the trilogy end instead with like these positive family relationships. I do too. Yeah, it's really it's really lovely. Um, and then I think there's something else going on here. Like you want, you said you wanted to go back to the Hanukkah thing. Unsurprisingly, and I, I guess I hadn't pinged it the first time I read this series, but I, I pinged it this time. Mm. The 
Hero is Catholic, and it's sort of, it's on page that this family is Catholic. Yes. And one, that's just rare. Like, you just don't see religion called out mm-hmm. in blazes very often, right? Um, so the hero is Catholic. His father is Catholic. And at one point, the father kind of says to him, like, is she Catholic? And he's like, no, she's like nothing but very respectful of religion. And then there is this Hanukkah thread through it, partially because of Mrs. Scheinberg. But what happens is Ian tells her that his mother died when he was a baby. He doesn't have any real memories of her, but that she was Jewish. And so Veronica says to him, "Um, well, then you're Jewish because it's matrilineal. And he was like, I am? I mean, he's like, he didn't know. And so then, like, as a gift, she hangs out hanging out with Mrs. Scheinberg. And she gives him a menorah. She makes, makes him a menorah. Oh, yeah, she right? makes She makes one. it. And it has, like, and ivy. she's a welder. And she's a welder, <laughs> so she can make you a menorah. And there's, you know, it's, like, engraved or has ivy on it. And then she, like, teaches him. She asks Mrs. Scheinberg about the candles and the proper way of lighting it. And they, you know, like, it's it's really tough. I mean, I thought I'm obviously I'm not. It's really a- darling. And yes. then there's one moment, like they have this like super hot, intense sex scene. And then she comes downstairs or like she comes out of his bedroom and like he has lit yeah. the first two candles on the menorah, like quietly on his own. Yeah. And it's really lovely. Yeah. I thought so too. And it's just, it's a moment where, yeah, I just, I, I'm really charmed by these books because I think that they are a good example of, like, somebody who understands implicitly the the rules of the category and then yeah. figures out ways to subvert them and twist them and break them. And I just, I really like them. This One Hot December is is very different. It's a very different kind of book. Yeah. And it's really, it it rides that line also of being very emotionally, like, it's a really lovely holiday story wrapped up in this, like, filthy sex. Oh, God, yeah. Like, these books. Just really dirty. If we were, if we were (laughs) in charge of Harlequin and there was a Blaze Inferno, these could be our first three books because they are. We should say that they ended Blaze and then they started Dare. Yeah. Which is the, which is. Uh, Aren't they ending only. Dare too? Are they ending Dare? I don't, I don't know. know. Who can keep track? I know it's fascinating. I want to. What were you going to say? Listen, about you know what I'm saying. I want someone at Harlequin. I want to. I want them to hire me. I just want to work there and like be like sit in on the meetings where they decide like you know hey we're gonna we're shuttering Blaze and opening Inferno. We're gonna shut down Desire and open up Tepid. <laughs> Tepid. That's not a great name for a line. I'm kidding, Harlequin. I love you. I love you, Harlequin. Um, yeah, it looks like Dare ended in June. Yeah. So. So. I mean, this is the thing. Go read Tessa Bailey books. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I mean, I do. I think that it's KU. I think a lot of it is KU. But apparently on the TikTok now, they're like, why are all these books so not hot? We want hot back. So Wait, who is saying that on TikTok? I don't know. Somebody told me they were they were saying it on TikTok. That they want the books to be hotter. Yeah. And I was as, like, as though 
though we are not, people aren't out here writing hot books. I guess, you know what I would say, but come on, Sarah, like you and I both know that a lot of, okay, you know what? I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm just going to stop talking right now. No, go read Tessa Bailey. (laughs) There's plenty of hot books out there for everybody, but these books are hot and delightful and apparently on Hoopla. So you can get them from your... Oh, fun. I got to figure out Hoopla. I, we... FYI, those of you who don't follow us on Twitter, this week we've been talking on Twitter. We talked about the fact that you can pay $50 to the Brooklyn Public Library and get access to the collection of the yes. Brooklyn Public Library via ebook, um, which is great. I happened to read um, her naughty, no, <laughs> the other one, One Hot December on the Brooklyn Library's her hot December. ebook reader. Yeah. And Hoopla, I got to get Hoopla set yeah. up. So I don't know if they have. I, they have. That, they have right? that. So I, you know what, you know what, Sarah, I'm going to put a pin in this, and I'm going to add this to our talking about the library and checking out ebooks. We're going to talk about it at our the big let's talk about books thing that's coming up next week. So okay. it's going to happen, everybody. But you know, this week it's Thanksgiving. You may enjoy cooking. You may like me order your entire Thanksgiving meal, all of it from Whole Foods. It doesn't matter. It's going to be delicious. And if you need to bounce people out of your house, then do it. We yeah, support you. Find inspiration in Tiffany Rice, who would not stand for it if somebody mistreated you or your boyfriend's daughter at the table. There's something about that that deeply spoke to me in the way that I will put up with a lot of bullshit from people, but the minute they go after, like, someone I love or a child, it's, like, game fucking on. And I really did find this whole book to be... They were perfect. It was so fun to reread them. Yeah. Well, you also really do love a book where somebody stands up for... Oh, completely. Themselves and others at a family meal. Hardwired right into the system. That is part of your personal id list. Yes, it is. Anyway. Yeah, it's great. Eric literally says to the shitty older brother, he says, we fucked where you were sitting earlier this week. I mean, he is like, (laughs) and the brother's like, that's disgusting. And he's like, no, it wasn't. It was great. Get out. (laughs) I'm leaving too, because she told me also to get out and we're going to respect her boundaries. It's amazing. Great. It's great. Anyway, uh, pour one out for Bra- for Blaze. <laughs> pour one out for Blaze, everybody. Um, we miss you, Blaze. We miss you, Dare. You know, go read some hot books. <laughs> you could listen to other episodes of Faded Mates, and generally, we don't recommend books that aren't hot. So <laughs> sometimes we do. We're we're round. Well, we're well rounded, Sarah. We loved that Hannah Khan book exactly. <laughs> But generally, Jen and I, we'd like lean toward Inferno. If only we were in charge, Sarah. Fate of Mates, Inferno, new line. Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) My friends, happy Thanksgiving. If you are doing that here in America, in the United States, Um, if you're not doing it, uh, we hope you have a nice long weekend. It's also Black Friday. I hope that you're not like getting, you know, crushed by people in Walmart. No, that's terrible. Wait, let me start over. (laughs) This did go to a dark place so fast. So we hope that you're doing well. Make sure that you, uh, if you're going to buy books, you're buying them early and often from indie bookstores. 
uh, because of supply chain issues. Don't forget, there's probably going to be some kind of cardboard shortage because it's 2021 and who knows? That's how it's going to go. Um, so we hope you're buying books for your friends. Uh, don't forget that you can buy signed books by lots and lots of writers. Just tweet it, writers who you love, and say, can I get a signed book from you from some local bookstore? Often the answer is yes. Um, fun fact, once I tweeted at Jason Reynolds uh, and I and I asked if there was a local bookstore where I could buy a signed book from him and he actually went into the local bookstore and signed the book that I ordered, which was great. That was before he was like... Jason, Jason Reynolds, Reynolds though. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend tweeting at Jason Reynolds, but that's my fun Jason Reynolds story. Um, but you can tweet at authors and ask them where you can get signed books. Um, mass market paperbacks fit great in stockings if you're a stocking filler. There you I'm go. just going to say. And um, don't forget that you can order the Faded Mates 2021 book pack. Yep. From Old Town Books. We'll put links in show notes. Um, you can get the eight of the ten best books of the year, according to us. Including a one great... Ca- oh, no, the great category romance isn't in there. We'll have to read that digitally, everybody. Yep. Yep. So find us at Faded Mates, at Faded Mates Pod on Instagram, at Faded Mates on Twitter, and FadedMates.net. And we love you all and hope that uh, you're not... Hope that you're, you know, having sex where your brother-in-law sat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're the worst or the best. Bye, everybody.